Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Tell me a story. Whether it's the young child waking up bleary-eyed, doesn't want to be awake, but the only way to solve this is to sit down and read a book. Or talk it, Daddy, if you will. Talk the book. Or maybe it's the time when you finally get together with family and friends, and you're exchanging what's happened recently, what's happened since the last time. You're sitting around the campfires, and it's like, tell us about that one time, that trip, that road trip where we broke down and, uh, and Dad had to hike two and a half miles to get some gas and get some help. Tell us about that again. That one is not from actual experience, at least not yet. Tell us a story. Jesus does the same thing, and if you look at the stories that he tells, you can look at it as a piece of literature, as a story, and say, this is, this is quite a story. But then the point of him telling the story isn't simply to entertain. And it's not simply to um, bring about a moral change, as, a, as a, you know, some of the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales do trying to inculcate some moral in the story. And it's not even the point of Aesop's fables, such as to get you to think about these things in a different way. But the point of his story is to unveil for you and for me a spiritual truth, and to at the same time conceal that spiritual truth from those who were outside of his church, from those who were listening simply to find something to hold against him, and he said, you know what? He's got a lot of teaching to do and a lot of people in this mixed audience of people who, who love him, people who are wondering, and people who hate him. And he said, you know what? A story, a parable, hits all three groups. To those who were believers, to those he sent the Holy Spirit, that they would gain a deeper understanding of what God was saying. To those who were wondering, they would wonder more and there would be an opportunity to explain. And to those who hated him, well, they understood that at least the point of this story was maybe against them. Take, for instance, Luke chapter 15 with the one lost sheep out of 100, the one lost coin out of 10, and the one lost son out of two. You understand that, or they understood that Jesus had spoken the parable against them, but as far as pinning him down to it, it allowed him to continue his ministry without being confronted with their anger until the very end. He tells a story, and the story today, of this incredible generosity of the landowner. That he goes out and he goes to the place where those who are looking for some day, a day laborer job are hanging out. Same thing happens today. It's a very similar culture in the areas where the fruit needs to be picked or the different crops need to be picked. Um, and, I mean, I've worked with a lot of those people earlier in, my, earlier in my life. And they would just go from one place to the next as the crops ripened and followed along. They would have their own little community and they would watch out for each other, make sure that the work got done, and make sure that they did a good job. And so the landowner says, I'll hire you for one day for a pay that was on level with a Roman soldier. So probably a little bit above your average day pay for a day laborer. 
and you look through and you see the point. You see the point because I've got that same envy and jealousy in my own heart. We bore the heat of the day. The heat of the day, whether it was, you know, literal heat of the day where you sweat through your shirt like three times a day and water just doesn't do it anymore. The heat of the day where you were almost faint and had to sit down for a few minutes to catch your breath. The heat of the day when you looked up with relief to see somebody coming from the house with snacks and a rest break for everybody. The heat of the day when when it became difficult to parse out exactly how to demonstrate Christian love. The heat of the day when it became personal that somebody you know, misconstrued, misunderstood, or simply wanted to misinterpret what Christian truth is and then throw it all on you. The heat of the day when you would sacrifice time on a Sunday morning when all the other kids are out playing soccer to sacrifice time and sit around the Lord's word, to gather together at the Lord's table. The heat of the day when you would make decisions as parents and say, you know what, I love that person, but there is too much of an influence to pull my child away from Christ. The heat of the day that says, you know what, at some point, at some point, my faith is going to collide with those around me. And Jesus is worth it. And then along comes these other laborers. And you notice that last group that was hired at the 11th hour? That last group, um, we don't even hear that they got to the vineyard and worked. The master goes and hires them. And all he says is, you go and you also go into the vineyard. And it's an hour until closing. And they're going there, and maybe they get down the first row, they don't even get a bushel picked. And the bell rings. And I get it. Maybe you do too. That you see the sacrifice that it takes. And if you don't, it's time to look closer at that. You see the sacrifice that it takes to be a Christian, to think clearly about the influences in your life and in those of the lives that you love. You think about the dedication that it takes to follow Christ. And you think about um, like our culture's idea of being a Christian. That a Christian is a badge of honor. That I'm a Christian because I go to church at least more often than I go to the dentist. That I'm a Christian because I'm, I'm considered to be a good person. That I'm a Christian, as long as I show up and put on a happy face, then everybody will think that everything is fine, there's nothing to see here, and nobody will actually know what's going on in my life. Because I'm a Christian. And I don't want to talk about that here. And we see that. And the collision between the way that our culture talks about Christianity and the way that Jesus talks about working in his vineyard. Working in his vineyard. And the collision is sometimes in the cultural ideas. Do you really say, are you one of those Christians who says that those who don't know about Jesus, those who don't believe in Jesus, those who have turned away from Jesus, that they're not going to heaven? 
do you really say that there is a hell that lasts forever under God's enduring justice and it never, 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 never ends? Are you one of those Christians? Bearing the heat of the And this parable is like, oh boy, I see what the landowner is doing. I see the exact point that Jesus is saying. I see that he is so gracious, he is so generous, and there's so much gospel here for you and for me that, sure, I punched the clock at 9 a.m. Sure, the Holy Spirit hired me and brought me into his vineyard on the third or fourth day after my birth there at the baptismal font. But if I get paid, the same as the guy who didn't even put in an hour of work, then why do I bear the heat of the day? And among all the questions that this parable would raise, perhaps that's the most pertinent point. Why would I bear the heat of the day? Why would I dedicate my life? Why would I sacrifice my time? Why would I um, put up with the ideas of the people around me and their misunderstanding of Christian doctrine? When I could just punch out for a while. I can just punch out for a while. I mean, that's how, that's how it works, right? Because you can punch out, you can take a break, you can say, you know what, I, 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 need, I need rest. I need to get out of the vineyard for a while. I need to at least take a break over there because I don't want to bear the heat of the day. I don't want to have to see what it takes to actually follow Jesus because it's so much more convenient when I've got a little bit more time on Sunday morning. It's so much more convenient that this Jesus who dedicated 33 years that he didn't have to and went through hell for you, for you and me. Like, I know I've got forgiveness one, that he did it all, but it's so much more convenient if I could just have the 25 minutes here, 25 minutes back, that's, that's 50 minutes, plus tack on another 65 minutes for worship service, plus maybe 10 minutes after if I stay after and haven't ridden out the last 40 minutes of Bible study. It would be so much easier if I had those four hours back times 50 weeks a year, and I'll still go twice. But I can punch out for a while because, you know what, whether it's 12 hours or one hour, look at how generous our landowner is. Look at how generous my Savior is. And he can't be actually that serious about working in his vineyard because look how generous he is. And we know just enough gospel to take advantage of that and say, you know what, I don't care how generous he is. That's the bottom line. I don't care how generous he is because I know he will be. And when that bell rings, I'll just make sure that I'm there in time. I'll just... Keep doing what I want to do. And I'll repent of it later. I'll just punch up for a while. And say, you know what, the church can get along without me. I'll just say, you know what, there are a lot of capable people there who know how to keep things together, run an organization, and I should just stand back and let them. Because it's awfully hot out here. And you know the heat of the day, and I need a break. Might that be the point that Jesus would make for you and for me? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I have 
have been punching the clock for 40 years, 50 years. And maybe it is time, you know, now that I can enjoy a little bit more of my retirement, maybe it's time to retire from church too, and to just say, you know what, I, I'm done with that, and I can show up every now and then. Um, I don't, but I don't have to be the one bearing the heat of the day. I don't have to be the one laboring away. And yes, there is an element of truth in that. But it's grounded in the fact that there at that baptismal font, Christ our Lord baptized you into his own body and made you a member of him. And to each one, young and old alike, is given the privilege, privilege of laboring in his vineyard. And far be it from you or from me, despite the occasional frustration that you or I might feel, Far be it from you or me to say, you know what? It's too much. Because you have a generous landlord. You have a generous God. Who didn't, didn't say it's too much. He could have been born anywhere. But being born in humble circumstances and laid in major, not too much. He could have lived whatever life with whatever acclamation he wanted. But he chose rejection. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. And to Christians who likely have been instructed in this far better than most of the Christians that you might see, it's so easy to take that promise of forgiveness and say, you know what, that means I'm completely off the hook. And to what such people, what would the landlord say? We don't want to jump too far ahead as if to say that we are the ones who are deserving. Because all that the landlord does is gracious. All that the landowner does is generous. All that the landowner does, he is the one who calls them. He is the one who chooses them. He is the one who calls them to his service. He is the one who promises them a pay that is far more than commensurate with their action. He is the one who promises not only a place in his vineyard, but then eventually a place in his household. He is the one, dear Christian, he is the one who promises you that no matter when it was that God brought you to faith, that heaven is yours. And he is the one who says that your sin, no matter how great, no matter how small, has been carried by Jesus and taken away by him. And far be it from us to see that grace and say, you know what? Not right now. Because your Lord gives it to you. Do you see how generous he is? And he doesn't work the same way that you or I do. He doesn't think the same way that you or I do, because if it were completely logical according to human reason, then whatever effort we put in, we would get in return. And boy, oh boy, have I put in the effort. I'm talking about, you shall have no other gods. Did that. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Did that. Remember the Sabbath day? Heck no. Honor your father and mother? No thanks. We talk about effort and rewards. If it were simply a matter of, of, of input and output and reward and payment, 
a transaction. If it were simply a transaction, then you or I would not be getting anything resembling a denarius. But then your genius said it's not a transaction. Our genius, being in very nature, God did not consider, you know, remaining under the same consideration as God as something to be held on to and paraded around. But he made himself nothing. And he said, dear Christian, dear Christian, even if you've been laboring for 11 hours or one hour, there's a son of the master who's been here all day. And he's had in mind all eternity to labor within his vineyard, to walk along, and to bring water to those who are thirsty, to feed those who are hungry, to say, take and eat, this is for you. There is the son of the master who says that he is laboring alongside of you, that all of your work is counted as, all of his work is counted as your work. All the fruit picking and all of the vegetable plucking that happened, happened by the Son of God himself. And so when God calls us into the vineyard, into his service, and to us, maybe, you know, when we're talking about um, 70 or 80 years, if we have the strength, or 90, if your name is Carol Jacobzinski, that God gives us in this world, and we think about the effort that we put in, but the reality of the eternity that God gives, not in response to your effort, but to encourage your effort. That's what the, the prayer of the day talked about. And the prayer of the day is kind of an introduction to the three readings that we have. And the prayer of the day talks about, um, how's he putting here? Lord God, you call us to work in your kingdom and promise to reward us according to your grace. Help us to rid our minds of worldly expectations and rejoice that you freely pour out the blessings of salvation to all people. Then he says, you promise to reward us according to your grace. That there's nothing of a transaction here. And even though the laborers think that they are slaving away and it's so much difficult because they are sweating. And if you've had some of those summer jobs, maybe going through college or similar, um, I've got a whole ton of sympathy for our UPS driver because I did that for one summer and I've never worked that hard in my life. But if you think that is hard, working your way through the vineyard, working with the pruning shears to, to pluck the grapes, if you think that is hard, carrying the weight on your back and carrying not just the weight of the harvest, but the weight of the work and the weight of the scorn. Then just look up ahead at the son of the master who is walking along, not with grapes on his back, but the cross, not stained with sweat with his own blood. And your master just on the other side saying, keep working, keep working. Because your Savior, your Jesus, has done it all. And the bell hasn't rung yet. And there's still more. Tell us a story. It's not a story with a moral. It's not a story to get us to contemplate some um, element of wisdom. It's a story that Jesus unpacks for you and for me that is just as relevant today as when he first told it. It is a story that God uses to encourage his people with his generosity. Amen.